Most of you guys, if you've been around for any amount of time, have probably heard a version of the story about how Sherry and I broke up. Let, hold on, let me clarify that. We didn't actually break up back when we were dating. She dumped me on my, guess what, drum roll, brrr, my birthday. Yeah, that's, that's pretty low. She dumped me on my birthday. But you may or may not have heard the part that kind of led up to that breakup. We'd gone out to dinner, all that sort of stuff for my birthday. She gave me a gift and a shirt that didn't fit. And um, anyway... <laughs> Sorry, that's just the way it is. Uh, but we got into this discussion, and we got into an argument, a disagreement. She'd become a pen pal with an old friend of hers, uh, a guy friend, that she was writing letters to. And for those of you who don't know, um, used to have this white stuff called paper that people would write on with ink or, or pencil, and she would write these letters, okay? And I, I wasn't too concerned about that, but she didn't understand that this guy, who was a friend, I, I understood this guy liked her and she was like no he does not and I was like yeah he does he's a guy he likes you you're a girl you're pretty he's writing you he's got ulterior motives and she was like oh no 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 he doesn't he doesn't well oh wait anyway she gets so upset with me she breaks up with me on my birthday let's just take note of that on my birthday she breaks up with me and it took a long time for us to get back together and then finally several months later she did come to the realization that I was right and he did like her, and it was more than just a friendship he was seeking. And she admitted to me that I was correct. I knew that. But anyway, she thought I was being jealous. And yeah, maybe there was some jealousy, but I felt like I was right in my jealousy because we were in a relationship, and I really loved her, and I was proven right. We got married, and here we are married almost 20 years later. But it was this jealousy thing, and she felt like I was being jealous. Jealousy can be a very dangerous thing. Jealousy can lead to a lot of disagreements, a lot of arguments, a lot of hurt feelings. But believe it or not, we look in the Bible and we see an example of God being referred to as jealous. Actually, God referring to himself as jealous. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 10. It says, Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. That's the name we see in Hebrew, Elkanah. And that's a powerful name. It's, it's kind of weird, like we think, to hear jealousy being related to with God and him even saying that his name is Jealous and that he is Jealous. And that's a strange idea. And many times when we hear the word jealous, we think of, you know, like the old movie Mean Girls. We sort of think about people who are jealous of one another and are petty and uh, just do mean things. But, of course, that's not God. He's perfect and he's good. And his jealousy is not like that. But it's a holy desire. It's a holy desire to see us experience all his goodness. That's what drives him for us to receive the good that he is and that he has to offer. It's an intense passion to have us and have a relationship with us. And in a Bible dictionary, it gives us deeper understanding to this word jealous in relation to God. 
The idea of not bearing any rival. God cannot stand for there to be any rival for our love and our affection. And then listen to this. The severe avenger of departure from himself is that God will avenge when people leave him in his presence, not because he's petty or small, but because he realizes what we'll be missing out on, and he wants us to understand his great love for us. To me, one of the best ways to understand it in human terms is a kind of a visual illustration. There's a movie that came out many years ago, and I've always enjoyed that movie. I'm not necessarily recommending it, but it's a movie taken. The story is that this guy, his daughter is kidnapped. It's a sad story where then he goes and he is determined by all means to get her back and rescue her and bring him back to her. And that reminds me just a small glimpse of how much God desires to have a relationship with us. And when we're pulled away from him and when we walk away from him, that he'll do anything and all things to get us back, to win back our love and our affection because he knows that he loves us perfectly and that her captors in that story didn't, and our captors don't love us the way that God does. But then God continues in verse 15. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. It seems kind of weird for us. You know, in our New Testament mind, whether you know a lot about the church and a lot about Jesus or not, it just seems sort of archaic and different. It seems extreme. And out of context, just reading that passage of Scripture, yeah, I can understand where it would seem extreme and odd. But let's look at what happened. Let's sort of look at the greater context of this. What we find out is this is the second time that the Ten Commandments are given to Moses to be shared with the people. But you may be saying, why the second set? Why the second time of the Ten Commandments being given? Well, if you back up and look, beginning around verse 20 and then reading through there, you see that what happens is, is that Moses breaks the first set. Moses breaks the first set of the Ten Commandments. And if you haven't heard the story, you may be thinking, why? Why would he do that? You know, these tablets of these laws that God has given him, why would he do that? Well, while Moses was receiving the tablets up on Mount Sinai that we talked about last week, up on the mountain, God told him, the people down there that you left down in the valley are rebelling against me. They are worshiping other gods. And so he goes down and he finds the Israelites doing just that. They're worshiping a golden calf that Aaron, his brother, the guy he left in charge, had made for them because they complained that they thought Moses was never coming back and that God had forsaken them. So he makes a golden calf out of all their gold wealth and riches and rings and jewelry, and he has them worship this golden calf. And so in his anger, Moses takes those Ten Commandments tablets and he throws them down. He bashes them on the rocks. And I also want to remind you something else. Last week, if you were able to watch that message, if you didn't go back and watch that, we saw the story of Elijah battling the prophets of Baal and, guess what, Asherah. Remember what God said to cut down their Asherah poles? You see, several hundred years later, they're still struggling with worshiping that other god, namely Asherah. They did not get rid of those things the way God said because they were rebelling against him. And here we are again, finding his people just like we often do, worshiping other gods. They had a problem, 
we have a problem. We go after other gods so many times. They were worshiping a false god here in this account. 40 days, just with 40 days of Moses being away from their presence. It only took 40 days for them to see all that God had done and then start going back to worship another God. And they knew that he'd gone up to meet with God. It's such a crazy story, but it's so much like us. How quickly we confuse the silence of God with the absence of God. While God is saying, wait, we say, God, where are you? When God is working, we run after other gods. That's why it says here in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 12, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. We may scoff at the idea of false gods in our modern world, because, you know, we're far too educated for that, right? I want to challenge you to consider the truth that maybe we actually worship more false gods than the people did back then. And the saddest part is they admitted and knew they were worshiping other gods, while sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. We fall into this trap because we don't understand worship. We think that worship is something that we attend maybe an hour a week or two if we're doing really good. But worship is who we are. It's the sum total of our lives. It's what we do, what we think what we devote our time to, our money to, our thoughts and our worries. It's what we draw our comfort from, our pleasure. It's where we find our joy. It's where we find our peace from. We can find these false gods in the form of food and money, work, success, sex, Netflix, entertainment, whatever. You can fill in the blank, but there's so many things that we put as other gods before the one true God. So take a moment, take a step back, and look at your life. Who or what do you struggle with worshiping in place of God or in addition to God? Of course, we all want the answer to be Jesus. You know, chances are, if you're watching this morning, you want the answer to be Jesus. You know it should be Jesus. And, you know, we may be tempted to say that all this sounds really Old Testament-y. That's a gum that I'm going to copyright and make and sell. Um, <laughs> and you may be thinking, you know, God knows that we're going to struggle and He knows that we're going to get distracted. Does He really still feel jealous for us? What does James, the brother of Jesus, say in his letter? In James chapter 4, verse 4, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. God still wants you and I for His very own. It hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. If you're a part of the church, God still has that desire for you. And listen to what the Hebrew writer says in his letter to the church. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and raging fire that will consume His enemies. Sound familiar? For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's all under the New Covenant. That's all under the New Testament. God is saying, if you choose to follow an old way, an old law, an old God, so to speak, the old covenant even, that you are becoming an enemy of God and you are trampling on Jesus and you're treating His blood as something unholy, unprecious. And so no matter what form that other God takes or where your allegiance may lie, you're treating Jesus' blood as something that's not necessary and you're trying to find your fulfillment and your life and your joy in something that won't fulfill you or sustain you. God is still a jealous God in the form that we see here in Scripture. He still wants us to worship Him. He still wants us to worship Him alone. Him only. So if you find yourself worshiping other gods, what do you do? Take a look at the rest of the passage there in James, beginning in verse 6. But He gives a greater grace. That's good news. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. There's so many things in there, but I want you to draw your mind to the idea, humble yourselves. That's the key to everything when it comes to following Jesus. You have to get your pride and your ideas and your knowledge and your wisdom out of the way and humble yourself. He says it again in another way, submit. We don't like submission, but if we want to experience the goodness and the glory of God for all eternity in heaven, then we have to submit to Him. He says it one more time, draw near to God, and then he's going to draw near to you. God says, draw near to me, and I will absolutely draw near to you. The beauty of it is he takes, we take one step, and he takes a million towards us. Take a look at the context of that Hebrews passage that we read as well in verse 19 there. It says, therefore, brethren... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, there again, sound familiar? With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another unto love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a lot of good stuff in there, and a lot of it's repeating what we read in James. Do you think God's trying to get a point across to us? He says, draw near. 
We've already talked about that, but remember that. Draw near. Hold fast without wavering. Don't give up holding on to Jesus and your faith in Him. It also says consider how you can stimulate others to love and good deeds. It's not just enough for you to do good deeds. How can you stimulate others to do good deeds? Sometimes it's just your example, but sometimes you need to encourage brothers and sisters and people who are outside of Christ that there's more to this life than what we see and think and feel and touch. It's about helping point other people to God. And it says don't give up meeting together. I want to encourage you. I hope you haven't viewed this time as time off from church, and I hope you've been taking the opportunity to grow spiritually during this quarantine time that we've been sharing in together. I want to encourage you to realize that the church is just as important, if not more important than ever before, because our world's spinning into chaos more and more, and the Scripture talks about that the love of most will grow cold. And so the church has to be together and united and stand strong so that people know that God loves every single one of us, no matter what we look like on the outside, no matter what we've done in our past, no matter how far and how wide we've broken our relationship with God and how many mistakes we've made and how many people we've hurt, God died through Jesus, His Son, for every single one of us to be able to spend eternity with Him. And when we unite together and join together and don't give up meeting together, we send a testimony that God is the God not only of the church but of this world. And it goes on and it says, Don't give up meeting together, but encouraging one another. Don't miss the subtlety but the power of that point. What it's saying is when we don't meet together as the church, that we're discouraging one another. Your absence is a discouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we all know we're not going to have perfect attendance, and that's not what it's talking about. But don't make a habit of not meeting with the church. You need the church. The church needs you because we are a body, a family in Christ. So, if we want to keep our worship focused in the right place, we have to get radical. I want to tell you about Michael Canones. At just 10 months sober, Michael suffered a horrible injury that would almost certainly send him back into the harrowing grips of addiction. Michael was working a landscaping job in 2017 when a mower slid down some wet grass. It sliced open the back of his heel and it destroyed his foot and his ankle bone structure. He said, they were amazed that I was still alive when I got to the hospital because I would have, should have bled out. That freak accident came at a time where things were finally looking up for this recovering addict. He had been through countless rehab programs and had recently been incarcerated. And doctors told him that if he kept his foot, it most likely mean undergoing multiple surgeries and a lifetime of pain medication prescriptions. Three days later, Michael, instead of taking the surgery and the pain medication, chose to have his foot amputated because he desired to never go back to addiction. And he knew that having that pain medication would just lead him down that same path that he had finally begun to defeat in his life. Three years later, he's healthy, he's active, he's an addiction counselor who's now married to the love of his life. That's such a powerful reminder that you and I, sometimes if we want to completely have God be the Lord of our lives and stop following other gods, then we've got to get radical and serious about getting these other things out of our life.
Michael knew that if he started taking those pain medications, that it would quickly turn into an addiction again for him. And so he said, if I want to be whole and have the life that I'm meant to have, then I've got to be radical. And he even allowed his foot to be removed. And so maybe you and I need to get radical about the things that we're going to cut out of our lives if we're going to be completely surrendered and submitted to God. But here I wanted to encourage you with this as we wrap up. Sometimes you have to get extreme to keep Jesus as the center of your life and keep your heart worshiping the correct one. But I want you to remind yourself that you're not the first one to go to extremes to fix your relationship with God. You see, God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sin and mine. And as we get ready to think about communion and where our life and our relationship lies with Jesus, I want to encourage you to think about this. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You see, the blood of Jesus was shed for you and I to be able to have a relationship with God. And you were not your own anymore. And you have the opportunity to give your life up and have life in Jesus, maybe for the first time. And so if you need to talk about that with us, please message us. Let us know how we can help you get your relationship with Christ right. We'll share what God's Word says and help you do what you need to do. But for those of us that have already taken that step, now is a precious time for us to take a stock of our life as well and look and see how close we are to following God or what other gods are creeping into our lives. And remember that the precious blood of Jesus was shed for you and I to be free forever. So take some time and remember what Jesus has done. He didn't stop at any moderate way. He went the full way and gave up His life. He poured out His blood allowed his body to be broken so you and I could be whole because he is jealous for us and his great love and he wants us to spend eternity with him would you pray with me God give us wisdom give us strength to look at ourselves and see what we need to remove help us to see how drastic we need to get but help us to remember God that you've always gone farther than we would ever imagine by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us We thank you that he lives again and gives us life. Help us to celebrate him until he returns. In Jesus' name we pray.